Shalom Aleichem. James Long, how are you? Shalom Rabbi. Manishma, how are you doing, sir? Baruch Hashem. Still, still breathing. Baruch yeah. Hashem. Thank God everybody in the family, your family is safe, thank God. And uh, all of our friends, we've seen some losses of, of that are going on, but we pray that uh, Hashem strengthens all of you and... Uh, should I should I mention my upcoming trip? Yes, please do. Bezrat Hashem, with God's help, I will be over there uh, the 29th of this month of November. That is so exciting, Jim. I got to ask you, first of all, call a kavod. I mean, really, uh, hats off to you for coming um, to be with us at, at, a, at a time like this. But I'm sure my, people are going to be asking you, like, aren't you afraid to come here? <laughs> like, how do you how do you feel about um, no I, uh, coming I, into a war zone? Uh, maybe it's because the people that I hang out with, like you, uh, you know, by now I think people know that we're, we're very close friends, but I have a lot of friends and uh, everybody, you know, it's because of these, the, the, the Jewish spirit the spirit of of, of of jewish israel uh you take these things in stride i think if anybody looks through the history of um israel you every even in in uh in the persian empire and then especially in egypt you the the names of, of some of your enemies are often humorously portrayed and you just you take it all with this this because god never wants his people, or any of us, really, to lose our joy. I mean, we're only human, Jim. We're only human. It's definitely yeah. hard to be to be joyous uh, when confronted with such devastation. I mean, and and you know, you you mentioned you know our friends. We, we have lost a lot of friends. You know, yeah. um, my children have lost comrades, and um, you know, my son Sharia, who is an instructor of instructor of martial arts for the IDF units, he's lost a lot of students. You know. Right. Um, uh, we're dealing we're dealing with a lot of uh, you know trauma, a lot of loss. Mm -hmm. um, but the thing is that um, again, there's a there is a process going on. There is a progression going on. It's it's a definitely as we've been saying for weeks now. It's it's an upheaval of faith. But you know, like for example, like we're coming into the month of Kislev now. You know that tonight is Rosh Chodesh as we go to Mike now. Yeah. Tonight is the beginning of the new month of Kislev, and Kislev, of course, is the month of Hanukkah which is later in the month, on the 25th, it commemorates a, a tremendous um, event. You know, it's everybody knows the story of the the uh, the lights of the menorah that lasted, you know, the, the, and, and the, the miraculous uh, aspect of the story. But there's much more to it because it was really a spiritual victory, the victory of the Hashbonayim, the Hashbonayim priests over the Greek invaders. And it's really all about, uh, maintaining our faith in Hashem. The, the whole month is, um, you know, very, very deeply connected with the concept of the renewal of faith. And it's a time of miracles, too. This yeah. month is a time of miracles. So so that's it couldn't, couldn't have been better timing, you know? Yeah. Of course, Hanukkah has another special significance for me because Carol and I were married on Hanukkah in, in, in Eretz Israel. So when you say there was a special event coming up, I thought, didn't she come riding to the chuppah on a camel? <laughs> she surprised all of us by by being led all the way up the, the cliff, the, the mountainside, on this camel provided by our friend Musa, who used to have the what I call the camel concession down at the the Qumran tourist site. People would pose on his camel. But your anniversary is coming up, and you will be in the land of Israel very soon. We're really excited about that. 
looking forward to doing some Jerusalem Lights work together with you. Amen. And I'm sure that, uh, and I, you mentioned to me also that you're looking forward to doing some volunteer work to help yeah. the effort of the IDF and Amen. all of the, the things that are going th on here now. I felt like, how can I put this energy that God has given me to some use other than getting in trouble, you know, at a demonstration? And I thought, you know, I'm going to I'm going to go back to Israel. And that's the thing about the, the incredible explosion of anti-Semitism that's going on all over the world. Um, <clears throat> you know, just a couple of, of days ago, we, we marked the anniversary of Kristallnacht, the night of broken glass, which was the prelude to the Holocaust, really. It was uh, November 9th and 10th, um, 1938. Um, 267 synagogues across Germany were destroyed and Jewish homes and hospitals and schools and businesses were ransacked and there were and, and over like 7,000 Jewish businesses were, were destroyed and and uh, do you know that 30,000 Jewish men were arrested and yeah. incarcerated and there were there's a question about how many people were killed it was a minimal of, of like 91 but possibly uh, it was actually in, in, in the hundreds. Um, and so the interesting thing is that um, survivors of the Holocaust that, that recall the event and that look at you know the mood, the mood in the world today are saying that this is actually how that began, like this kind of atmosphere, this kind of, of poison atmosphere and and um, the interesting thing here is a quotation from the famous British historian Martin Gilbert. He wrote that no event in the history of German Jews between 1933 and 1945 was so widely reported as it was happening. Wow. And um, the accounts from foreign journalists working in Germany drew worldwide attention. And, and that, is, that is amazing because now, of course, the, the, the hallmark of everything that's going on now is, is real time. Yeah, that everything is being reported as, and so and so. I mean, the whole you know iconography, the whole concept of what that was all about, the night of broken glass, and how, uh, and how um, that began uh, these brazen assaults on defenseless and innocent people, and and uh, and um, that the whole atmosphere that it that it uh, that created it and that fed into it. I mean, then you go and you look at what's going on, like you began to say, on the campuses and in, and in the cities. And um, I mean, to me, I would think that the situation is very clear. I and mean, we've discussed this, you know, some people will say ad nauseum, but the fact is this, the story is pretty simple. You know, 3,000 terrorists invaded that country in one day yeah. and murdered um, 1,200 people, right? The, the vast majority of them civilians and children and, and families and all, all of the things that that we described and you know what's going on that's that's incredible to me jim is that you know that there's a phenomenon in the world of holocaust denial right it's sure. it's a very very serious problem holocaust denial that's why we have institutions like yad vashem it's why the testimony of survivors is so important that's why wasn't it wasn't it eisenhower who with that famous quotation about how important it was to photograph everything because one day somebody will come along and say that it never happened yeah. um so, so, so you have this phenomena today of Holocaust denial, and the fact is that people from that generation are, are by and large, uh, have died out. There's only a few people left, and that's why the testimony is so, is so important. And so the thing is that it didn't take very long 
No. But you already have these voices and people who are saying, did that really happen? I'm talking about what happened now. And I'm talking about, again, uh, you know, reflecting on the observation of, of, of Martin Gilbert, that it was recorded in real time, that it was broadcast immediately by journalists. It's what's going on now, right? And then, and then there have been all of these special screenings that Israel has arranged all over the world for diplomats and for heads of states and for important journalists where they have actually shown them the uncensored version of what happened that day, which is too horrific for people. The people of Israel haven't been allowed to see it. It's just too much. It's yeah. not respectful to the families. The, the incredible barbarism and, and horrific slaughter of, of, of all of these men, women, and children, right? So it was shown to people of, of influence and, and, and um, you know, the New York Times and all, all sorts of people saw it. They just got through screening uh, the, the footage in Hollywood. And, yes, uh, I read that. Some people got up and left. Uh, when it was over, there was complete silence. I mean, no, people didn't know how to react. And it's very inconvenient for the agenda, right? right. And for the narrative. So either yeah. either they either they will they will they will uh, you know choose not, not to recognize it at all, or or how, however you know it's it is world changing. Obviously yeah. for us, it's it's world changing. But for anybody, it should be because it is everything is different after that day. So, so and and that's quite simply w what happened, and um, it's it's mind blowing, right? But the, already, even even though it's it's been shown, it's been reported, and the horrible truth about about the atrocities that were committed are known, people are already beginning to say, "Well, did they really burn babies in the oven? Did they really rape women? Did they really cut people's heads off, or did they just burn them alive?" Yeah. I mean, did, okay, they, they 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 slaughtered people in their beds, but did they really do all of those things? It's like that's how it starts. It's it's absolutely incredible. Because, in other words, the truth is known, but it's the same pattern of Holocaust and I was it so bad did it really happen did they did they really do all of that and that's you know into that uh, place is, uh, of this kind of doubt is where everything grows from so in the meantime you know uh, all of these truths are known and 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 you know the EU the EU and the USA you know they they might be calling for restraint they might be calling for the idf to be cautious about civilian casualties which of course they are so cautious that they i mean there was this unbelievable story about how how the israeli intelligence phoned uh, one person in in gaza a dentist and and stayed on the phone with him for like hours and hours and had him evacuate like all kinds of people from certain buildings that they knew that they had to blow up because they were hamas assets there and the whole the whole idea about how you know the the IDF is facilitating this this what they call this humanitarian passage, and then while they're opening up the passage for the for the citizens of Gaza to go through, the Hamas is firing on them. Yeah, you know, and and all of these un unbelievable things. So so in the meantime, everything that's going on here is basically again uh, the existential uh, um, uh, question of our, of our of our survival because the Hamas leaders are going on record as saying they're going to do it again and again and again. This is the Whole yeah. goal of what they did is they're, they're going to keep on doing it. So that's what this the 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 battle is all about. And in the meantime, you have you have situations where, you know, like a, a Jewish a Jewish school in Montreal was fired upon for the second day in a few day in a few days, and synagogues have to be evacuated because of because of violent protests, and Jewish children are are attacked on their way to school. And in France alone, one thousand two hundred fifty incidents of anti-Semitism. Uh, have have been recorded since the beginning of the war, and all of this this kind of thing is is going on, and 
and, and people choose to, you know, to uh, ignore what what Hamas is, but yet to and to embrace that their cause as if they are aligning themselves with these demons and and not and not um, in touch with reality at all about what they would do to them. You know, yeah. it's 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 mind boggling. So either I, it is it is fitting it is fitting their narrative, or it is like going into this week's Torah portion of just the hatred of Asaph to Yaakov. Like a weed, it sprouted in this week's narrative between these two brothers. And and even the fact that all of this misinformation is being is being uh, spread abroad, it's we see it, and we'll, we'll talk about it in a minute, we'll see it in the fact that, that uh, Esau's own claims against his brother are false claims. Here's the thing, and so we're talking about Parshat Toldot that begins in verse 19 of chapter 25, right. and it is, uh, it is the, the whole idea is is so remarkable, you know, uh, again, um, just like Avraham and Sarah were, were incapable of having children, and that was a miraculous reversal of nature, so too, uh, the same thing with Isaac and, and, and Rivka, and this whole scenario that opens up before us of the children agitating within her, you know, right. and then she, her her going to ask of prophecy, which was shame, the son of Noah. What's what's the deal? What's going on with me? Because she realized that what she was experiencing was not just ordinary labor pains or ordinary uh, uh, Braxton Hicks contractions or something. <laughs> she realized that there's something going on with this pregnancy, and 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 the prophecy that she received, which by the way was not known to Isaac, and that's very important, right? Because it has a lot to do with Rivka's behavior later in instructing her son. She was told. You're, this is people have to listen to this because this is like the most remarkable thing. I mean, if ever you open up your heart in the deepest way, it's to understand what we're about to say. She was told, you know what? This isn't about you, mm -hmm. and this is not about your kids. In other words, what I'm what I want to say is, generally speaking, there's a principle when we study Torah that you can't. You know, the Torah exists on many, many levels. There's different levels of interpretation. There's the, you know, the Sod and the Pshat and the Remes and the Drosh. There's ex expounding it and there's the illusion and there's the deep mystical secret. And there's a simple interpretation. And generally speaking, they all coexist yeah. very beautifully. And you can't, you can't like denude the simple interpretation from something and say this is only like um, a, a metaphor. But there are several times where you have no choice. For example, when it comes to the Garden of Eden narrative and the whole concept of the snake and the tree of knowledge, the, nothing there is literal. That's all something else altogether. And so too, when we read this this whole um, beginning of this Parsha, basically the, there's no simple interpretation here because literally she is being told that there are two nations they're not they're not your children they're not it's not even about these kids it's a it's a, it's a you are a concept you are now she, rivka was told you are now and you're when like you, eve you're like you're not like eve you actually you are eve that's yeah and 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 the, and, and, the, <laughs> and what you're experiencing now is a template for all generations this there is going to be a struggle now about the legacy of adam and eve yeah exactly and exactly. everything that you're going on uh, right that you're experiencing right now is isn't about the simple you know uh, uh, birth pangs and you know you know and and uh, pregnancy and delivery of, of of two kids of two twins it's it's something that will that will reverberate and ricochet throughout all the generations until the redemption and we are very fortunate today i must tell you yeah because we have a special guest in the studio. 
we have a special guest in the studio who wrote a book which i feel <laughs> is one of the most powerful um expositions of this whole content it's, it's one of the greatest books that i've ever read on the subject of understanding the relationship between Yaakov and Esav, who Esav is today, how we understand this in, in, in contemporary terms, and really plumbs to the depths of this whole subject. And the book is called Blood Brother. Hello. Israel's ancient enemy. And I'd like to introduce the author, who is very modest. He may not even he may not even want to talk to us. His name is James D. Long. Hello. And I'll read to you a little bit about this book. Blood Brother, Israel's Ancient Enemy, is an examination of the historical struggle between the biblical twins Jacob and Esau. Their opposing worldviews have nurtured whole cultures and is a source of a centuries-long clash of civilizations. I'll just go on for a moment with the permission of the author. The Jewish sages teach that the bloody legacy of Esau backslash Edom spawned the Roman Empire, nurtured the foundations of Europe, and fuels a rampant consumerism that still drives the modern Western world. James Donald Long reveals the powerful forces that influenced Esau and Jacob to take very divergent paths. Long also traces little-known geographical and ancestral milestones that link Esau Edom directly to the founding of the Roman Empire. Seriously, Jim, this is a treasure. Thank you, sir. And, and everybody should know that they can order it uh, from you, from Amazon. Either one, Amazon or... Yeah, from Lightcatcher or from... Lightcatcher is truly amazing. Yeah. Well, I, uh, I that was totally unexpected. And I know that you put so much research into this book. It, I, I, it is it is just a, a treasure. I'm so appreciative of that. And one of the things I learned in doing this research on Toledot and this whole panorama that, that comes out of this chapter, even the, the, the type of language or the, the means of expressing it uh, is a teaching in itself. And, and what I'm talking about, the fact that this is one of the rare times that it speaks of the physical attributes of a person in the Torah, right? right? We we don't know anything about we don't know anything about the way, for instance, Moses. We don't know anything about his physical aspect, except the fact that he he was he had a speech impediment. We don't know if he was handsome, if he was tall, short, whatever. We know Esau. We know he's a he's his uh, description of his birth is given in very specific physical terms. And that he is, he basically, even though they were twins, in fact, uh, one of our favorite uh, commentators of the Torah, uh, Rob uh, Hirsch, says that, that they were twins, but yet um, Esau was, was much, was much uh, what's the word I'm looking for? I even say it in the book. Uh, he was a man of, he was an outdoor man. He was basically very, he was sturdier. He was, he was, you know, rough. And um, so, so the fact is, is that because his, because he is described in such physical terms, that teaches us that Esau was a very physically uh, motivated person. He was motivated by his physical desires, and this is what drove him. Rather, it, it was like he was upended. Is it, it, it was like. Isaac must have been praying and hoping the whole time that his son was filling out and fleshing out literally his spiritual side. And he didn't. Esau is a very complicated um, figure as, yeah. as, as we study in the incense of the sages. And, 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 you know, the whole concept of the birthright and the blessing that Isaac wanted to give over and who he was going to choose, you know, Esau had a lot of potential 
to really be a, a follower of Torah, really, and to really and to really be able to um, apply concepts of Torah into the world because of the fact that he was so rooted in in physicality. And and as you know, Torah is action oriented, right? It's all about being in this world. Like you said, it's about being grounded. It's about being rooted. It's about being realistic. And so the and so the high hopes that Asaph had really was because he was such a, a person of the earth, and Torah is of the earth of of this earth. Hashem gave it that it should be observed and celebrated in this world. So that was that was a, a possibility. If were he to choose between right and wrong, were he to be able to overcome his base nature, he would have been able to be a perfect example of infusing the physical world with with Hashem's presence, yeah. but that's not what he chose at all because he was um, overwhelmingly drawn to the to the physical itself. To the yeah. to you know, and I wanted to point out something like in his description, even of the of the food. You know, just pour yeah. some of the red the red stuff down my throat. You know, don't yeah. you know the, the ultimate feed me, burp me, get me out of here. Just it's all about my complete. What you like, what you call in the book over and over again, consumerism. This this connects him to to Cain. He is named by his mother, Cain, because she says, "I have acquired a, a a man from the Lord." So Cain was literally true to his nature and his name. He was he was someone who was all about acquisition. And the uh, the oral tradition says that even Nimrod, who is a figure a lot of people thought has gone away by now. But he's still he's still very much alive, according to uh, sources like Seder HaOlam, which gives us the chronology of the of the Jewish people and the world. He's out hunting, and and says that uh, the sages tell us that es that Esav was not unknown to Nimrod, and Nimrod had heard about his reputation of being this skillful trapper, but also almost like a, a an orator someone who could trap men with his tongue. Mm -hmm. In fact, he ensnared his own father by, 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 you know, he was the original silver tongue devil, if you will. He could, he could make the mind real with, with, with great teachings. And it was spin. It wasn't teachings. It was, it was well, a twisted kind of, right, right. of portrayal of, of, of reality in which he, yeah. he painted himself as a, as a being a, a very righteous person. And it was all just a kind of manipulation. He was a politician. He was he was the original politician, is what he was. But he wasn't just a politician; he was a murderer. The day that Avraham Avinu died is 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 the day that Esau said, "You know what?" He saw it as an excuse to just give full reign to his appetites. And right. I, I forget now what it is. He he raped a woman that day. He had a very busy day that day, and in, in, as he returned from the field. Um, he had transgressed two of the Torah's main commandments, um, for which a person is actually should forfeit their life than rather than commit. They're so serious, and they're and they're commandments that are binding on all descendants of Noah. And that he that is that he raped a betrothed woman, and he murdered her betrothed. And that was the very day that his grandfather Abraham had passed away, and uh, Yaakov was cooking a meal of consolation for his father Yitzchak, which is the concept of the lentils that even today is served like in a in a home where people are observing the the seven days of Shiva morning because they're it's round and it's this whole idea of of a, of a cycle and there are numerous reasons for this tradition of lentils. So that's what he was 
cooking. Isn't there also a tradition that the meal is prepared by someone else? Other yes. Than the mourners? And I think that came yes. out of this also. And the sages go deeper and they say that actually he committed five sins on that day because he also, in addition to the rape and murder, he also very contemptuously de denied the existence of God altogether. He denied the resurrection, which is this whole thing about why do I need the birthright? In other words, if, if a person on the level of Abraham could pass away and there's no future and that's the end of, of life, so what do I, what do I need it? What do I need it for? Right. But you mentioned earlier, um, Cain and Abel. And the truth is that, that, that the whole, um, and, and throughout the book of Rishit, there is a recurring theme of, of, um, a disconnect and a, and a, and a lack of rectification of brothers. You know, it started right. with Cain and Abel. It goes through, uh, Yaakov and Esau and Joseph and his brothers. Uh, and, and we're always looking for this tikkun, which eventually comes about, you know, really through Moshe and Aaron, the whole idea of, uh, of the, the perfection of, of brothers. But um, there's an idea that Midrash talks about that when um, Cain confronted Abel in the field, also the expression of being in the field, what was it all about? They were arguing about um, the future that... that um, Cain said, and Abel said to him, said, let's divide up the world. Let's divide up the world between us. One of us will take the land, the other will take uh, movable property. So the Midrash goes on and says, so this one said, the ground you're standing on is mine. And the other one said, what you're wearing is mine. And this one said, take it off. The other one said, get off my property. And then Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. And that was the world's first murder. And... Um, the the whole concept of what we're seeing here now is really a continuation of that because they were also arguing that that they also said let's divide up the world Yaakov Esav saying I want to take this world and Yaakov saying he'll take the next world meaning that he he would be responsible to uh, elevate this world and to imbue it with the with eternity with the future with the spiritual essence with what it's really really all about whereas yeah whereas Esav did not want to see further than the physical plane, which is everything like you were saying earlier, that that his hallmark is a is a total abandonment to physicality to the extent that he was was um, the personification really of lust. He was hairy all over when he was born. I mean, the guy, the the he he was almost a complete. He was complete. He was fully developed. Like he was a little developed. man. He was already made. Yeah, he was like fully developed, and and so it sounds very like whimsical. This metaphor, the sages say, like he had a full set of permanent teeth and his nails and his and his beard and everything, but the idea being, it's like it's like I, I, don't wait for anything. Everything has to be right now. Like, the, right. And, and it's like a and it's like a, no no patience for the maturity and the spiritual insight and the responsibility that comes with developing stage by stage. Yeah. Again, this this concept of consumerism, like I have to have it right now, like. Everything has to be like exactly right now. Yeah. But interestingly, you know, like uh, the whole idea, like a a killer in the in the mafia in the in the mafia novels, isn't he referred to as like a made man because well, he's like he's okay. actually killed someone? That's Asab. He's a yeah. he's a murderer, and he was complete. That's his name. He's completely made. That was not lost on him as he grew up. He considered himself a, what we call a self-made man. You know, we we have people like that who who reject the idea of of, of the supernal of, of God. And they feel like that everything that happens is simply because of their own strength, and and that's where he was. That again was where he was grounded in in that that process of thinking is that look every my strength and you know he this is why 
this is why he wanted to come full circle after he murdered Nimrod it, when, when he caught Nimrod unawares in the field. And he took the garments that Nimrod was wearing, that Nimrod was famous for, which came from Adam Rishon. These were the these were the garments of skin that were which is a whole nother level of teaching. But then on the Pashut level is that Hashem, when they were expelled from the garden, uh, or bef you know that Hashem made these skins for Adam and Eve to wear, and and weren't the garments, Rabbi, weren't they likened to, or wasn't the 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 garments of the high priest possibly uh, uh, designed the same way? Is the garments yes, of Adam? the garments of the high priest are connected uh, uh, to to the whole concept of the garments that God made for Adam, because Adam was originally the first high priest, and that the whole concept of living in this world is serving Hashem. So he yeah. was really the first Kohen, as it were. And so, yeah, there is a there is a very deep connection between those garments and the clothing that the high priest wears in the holy temple in the spot of the Garden of Eden, affecting again a continuation of the rectification of the whole problem, which began with eating from the tree. Amen. Amen. But but Jim, I, I mentioned your book, right? Yeah. So we digress because it, because again, it's it's an amazing amazing read, and in the book, one of the things that is um, remarkable about it. And again, there's just such a, an admirable amount of research and scholarship here. But one of the things that you've done in this book is that you have very kind of boldly, really, um, without any kind of like uh, apologies, you have identified Esav today and also throughout history, kind of like the manifestations of the Esavian personality, culture, um, uh, 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 kind of like the uh, the um, just the whole progression of of that of that not soul but of that force really as a force yes as a force in that that influence history as a force throughout nations and you have brought it to quite a, quite a, a powerful uh, place in in that you you basically are looking at the stage of world history and contemporary history also vis-a-vis -vis Israel's relationship with the nations. This is a tremendous treatment that you've done in this book. Can uh, it's not often that we have such a prestigious author with us in the studio. We we did we did some time ago with Dr. Kastner, but you're here right now. What could you tell us about some of these ideas that you put forth in the book about Western society, about the rise of Christianity, about Constantine? So many things you've written about in this book. Well, Toledot is a reset. It it takes everything, every mistake made in the garden, and it resets it. And and the the idea is is that um, Rivka is sort of um, what is the word I'm looking for? She she sort of perfects what where, where Eve fell short. She rectifies the mistakes mm -hmm. of, of of Ahava of Eve and says, "Listen, this is what God told me that is going to happen." So she takes she takes the word of God and she instructs her son to to basically uh, fool her her husband, who she loves very much, because she knows he's blind not only physically but he's blind to the sins of his own son Esav. And she had received that prophecy earlier, which was earlier. a personal prophecy only for her, and she was waiting this whole time. Like, how is that going to play out? How is that? How is that going to play out? Yeah. And Yitzhak really did not know who. It's all about who is going to be the one that is going to carry 
the banner of Abraham into the world. Again, this right. is the establishment of the of the of the the people. Yeah. And 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 Abraham and Yitzchak understood that they had a mission. And right. so this is Yitzchak's his time now, his yeah. his mission. Esav, in a, in a way, and I, I'm saying it, you know, like uh, carefully. Esav, in a way, is like a tragic figure. And Yitzhak was very affected by the by that, you know, that he that he really had hoped that he would be able to personify what the the the, the Israelite is supposed to be in the in the world. Yeah. But but in, instead, he took everything that was good and he twisted it completely. And he he just gave in to this tremendous burning um, physicality. That's why you know the midrash says that when when they when when Esau came in to to Yisrael that night, so even though he was blind, he perceived prophetically that that below him below his feet was like the the um, gaping opening to Gehenom. Because the boy is an archetype. He's the archetype of the embodiment of the, the desire for evil for its own sake. Yeah. Isaac embraces uh, Jacob and he smells this smell and he says it reminds him of the of the field. He's speaking of Gan Eden. What he smelled was the Ketoret. And so he goes and he finishes the blessing. Now, here's what I get into in the book. That's that's not in the book. But what is in the book is the idea that when he blesses him, knowing that he has the hands of Esau, but he hears the voice of Jacob, he's blessing Jacob's voice. He's, he's blessing the, the speech that comes out of Jacob's heart, which is Torah. But he's blessing the physicality that he's embracing so that another another redhead will come out of out of this out of this lineage. A redhead who will embody not only the, Bo the both aspects the perfectly. both aspects, the voice of Jacob, the voice of Torah, but the physicality and the strength. And that's of course David Amelik. And that's what I, I believe that especially today in this day and age, this is what we're looking at in these these young men and women that are going to battle is that this is what God God wanted to prepare the Jewish people to not only take Torah into the world. He wanted his people to survive and they would need physical strength. Both aspects. That, that's the thing about about, you know, it, it, it's very elusive when we read the verses, but. This per this person comes before Yitzchak, and he doesn't know who he is exactly, and he's disturbed because it doesn't add up. He's got right. he's got this voice, but he's got this feel, and he was disturbed. But yeah, he went and he gave him the blessing. Right. So if he was so disturbed and he had this question, why did he not say stop this whole project? I need to, I need I need some sort of a committee to I need I need to find out what's going on here. No, he gave him the blessing because he knew that Hashem would send him. The, the person who is going to be able to bring the light into the world. It, it, was a, it was a selection that was going on, and he knew that it was in Hashem's hands, and whoever would be able to best, again, uh, uh, you know, um, bring these values into the world, into the future generations, that's who he's looking for. We can literally trace historically and, and even uh, spiritually and uh, philosophically the worldview of of this this wrong-headed son that that one that took the wrong path, we can we can see these two brothers part. In fact, later he will tell him when uh, when he is at one point sort of forgiven his brother. He says, "No, you." Uh, Jacob says to him, "You go ahead of me." Those words were prophetic because that's what did 
Esau had the first kingdoms. He had a kingdom set up before his brother even had a kingdom of Israel set up. But that that chain of events I show in there, how it literally physically goes from Eretz Israel and it ends up in the in the, the Roman peninsula, the Italian peninsula, and how uh, a grandson of Esau by, by the name of uh, Zepho, which by the way, actually can mean spy or hidden, and that's kind of what he was, uh, Zepho actually sets up, uh, he becomes part of the leadership of what would later become the Roman Empire. And he imbues the Roman Empire with this idea of uh, that they have to conquer the world through blood and strength. And he's the he's like the bad twin of his brother Jacob. He and is Asaph. He's that's what I'm talking about. Is that this is right. Asaph alive over and over again in all of these people, and it even in all of the in all of the guises that he the, the, that the, he took the, throughout the, history. The religion of Rome is based right. on that militarism. The Church of Rome had such a sway over Europe, and Europe is the birthplace of the Western world. And that that idea, their idea of the Messiah, is a bloody Messiah, and he's a, he's a Messiah that you can you can Asian, you can worship him, which Jacob knew was wrong. You don't worship the Messiah, you worship Hashem. Messiah is a is a leader. He's a leader of state, and he's a leader of of uh, of military uh, consequences, and and. But Esau, in the form of Rome, is divorced from that idea. But he's always dangling this idea that he's holy out there, that, that oh, we have a church now. It's an amazing experience, the, the book, Jim. Uh, really, it's a, a, mar a marvel. So uh, I, I strongly recommend it to everyone. I, I just want to say, Jim, that, you know, again, tonight begins the month of Kislev. Amen. Um, it comes on the heels of the upcoming month, Mar Cheshvan, which is always... Um, uh, unique in the Jewish calendar because it doesn't have any holidays in it. You know, Mar Cheshvan, the bitter Cheshvan, kind of like um, Mar, like Mister, like a certain kind of distance, a certain kind of formality because uh, Tishrei was so uh, warm and um, full of um, all sorts of uh, commandments, you know, the Sukkah and the, and the species and the Shofar and Yom Kippur. And then we come to Mar Cheshvan and it was always just a very kind of like, um, that was its nickname, bitter. Little did we know that it was kind of like a prophecy um, in potential because this past Mar Cheshvan became the bitterest month in well, Jewish history with everything that has been transpiring, everything that we've gone through. But now we're coming into the month of Kislev. And the month of Kislev, of course, the crescendo of it is the festival of Hanukkah much later in the month on the 25th, which is all about the rededication of the altar in the temple and the victory of the... Hashmanayim, the Maccabees, over the forces of, of Greece that invaded uh, the land and that defiled the temple and that, and that tried to uh, drive a, 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 a wedge between Israel and, and the God of Israel and all the decrees that they made against the spiritual, uh, the spiritual uh, values of, of the people of Israel. But the thing is, the victory of Hanukkah it was a physical victory, you know. It was it was sure. a, a miraculous a miraculous physical vi victory, but it was really a spiritual victory. It was really all about uh, emunah. It was all about being connected to Hashem. It was all all about also the um, the courage uh, and the and the conviction and the belief to fight for 
this land, you know, that this is our home and that no one can uh, take us out of this land or tell us that we don't belong in this land. All of the things that are that are just uh, repeating themselves in every generation, all, all of the same things that are that we're up against, you know, those that feel that we are not legitimate, that we have no right to be in our land, that we should not be uh, uh, able to defend ourselves. And so um, the month of Kislev is characterized by uh, a certain kind of deepening of faith. Mm-hmm. And a certain kind of experiential, miraculous revelation of this of the power of faith yeah. when we are united and ready to do our part, you know, to stand up for the honor of Hashem, and all of those themes and values just reverberate so strongly with everything that's going on now. And again, as we began speaking in the beginning about, you know, the simple the simple truth is that we were we were invaded now by a horrible enemy that seeks to destroy us, that admittedly, uh, unabashedly, uh, openly says that it will try to destroy us at every opportunity it has. And now we have uh, the duty and the obligation for our children to defend ourselves and to rid the land of that enemy, really. And the reaction of the world, again, like it's like, did that really happen? It couldn't have happened. And it certainly doesn't justify your response, right? Mm -hmm. And again, like, uh, just it's very exhausting to have to prove over and over again about how just and moral and, and ethical the IDF is and about the involvement of so many of the so-called innocent people in, in Gaza and how deep, how deeply entrenched uh, and woven into the fabric of society Hamas really is. And all of that, that's, that's, we've spoken about that so much, but, but the idea is that, that this a Soviet spirit, you know, that kind of, joins forces with Yishmael, the Yisavian spirit that is all about spin mm-hmm. and all about portrayal and all about denial and all about and all about um, uh, deceit really is exactly what we're up against today. It's the, it's what's fueling and empowering all the anti-Semitism, all the attacks against Jews, all the perversion of reality. And like you say, like people are watching the screening and walking out. People, <laughs> there's 242 hostages, right? 25 to 30 children. It's the 38th day today, as we're recording, yeah. that that these that these women and children and men are being held hostage, and you know people. <laughs> People, they rip the posters down like, don't look there, don't look there. No, that's not, that doesn't fit the narrative that I want to be able to talk about the freedom fighters, about Palestine being free. And it's just unbelievable what's going on. But it is really the power of the media. In other words, there might be a lot of good people out there that really don't know. And so they're not really saying like cynically, like, what did that really happen? No, they just see images of what Israel is doing. And they're saying, this is horrible what Israel is doing. Why? Because the media also, Jim, is Asov. Oh, the media yeah. is the media. The media is a is a is a lie, and the media is a fantasy that is used basically to 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 lull people to accept the agenda that is being put forth by those powers of a, of Asov that wants to control the world, yeah. and that's really what we're up against. So, so nothing's changed since it's all in this week's Torah portion. It really is. It is Asov. Asov is alive and well in the press because they are trapping men's souls with their speech in the same way that Esau did. And by the way, since you you were kind enough to bring up my book, I don't let uh, actually Greece does figure into this narrative, this Esauvian narrative in a very important way in the, how the influence, people often talk about how we've, we've acquired so much from Greek culture. Well, there was a lot of damage the Greeks did to culture and also to history. And I show how they, I mean, any student of Rome knows the Greeks influenced the thinking of the Romans 
in very many ways. And I touch upon that also in, in the book. And I, it, I think it will be instructive in that respect. But no, you're right. The Esav uh, uh, is alive and well in, in the world today. And it is anywhere you see um, where people, the, the, worst, the worst part of, of the offspring of Esav of is his grandson Amalek. He he is the one that we're seeing, I think, uh, in in these these horrible murders that were committed on innocent Jews. Because um, it's not it's not a specific people anymore. It's no, a spirit. It's a spirit. It's a spirit it's, that is that is that is um, um, transferable and right. possibly contagious. Yeah, it's the spirit, and, that, and that's really what it's the spirit that built the ovens of Auschwitz. And I mean, who would have thought that anybody could engineer something like that? So, you know, people say, well, those are those are Germans. Well, no, it was a people led that were gripped by the same spirit and mindset that we're talking today. They wanted to take over the world. And and they and who did they seek out to get out of the way first? They they, they sought out the Jews. They knew that the Jews, the, the, the Nazis knew the Jews were in their way and they had to get rid of them because they didn't want this kind of thinking in, in their midst. Looking forward to having you soon, uh, once again, in the Holy Land in a couple of weeks. That's something that will really turn the tide of the war, Jim. That's a secret weapon. I'm not going to let anybody know. I'm not going to let the other side know that you're coming. <laughs> that could change everything. God willing. So um, so we're, we're, we're excited about that. And um, and again, tonight, Rosh Chodesh Kislev, may this month bring us uh, revealed miracles. May it be a beautiful time of uh, the revelation of the hidden light of Hanukkah. The whole month is infused with that light, with uh, this deepening of our faith, with our um, integrity and courage to stand up and defend our land, defend our home. It's exactly what's going on now. And God willing, it should be a month of revealed miracles for all of us. Amen. Hazak. Shalom. Amen. Shalom.